NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Tonight on The Readout. One of the things that we see happening today is a sort of a, a sleepwalking into a dictatorship in the United States. Liz Cheney on the danger of a second Trump presidency. And there are new warnings tonight about Trump's plans, which would move the country away from democracy and into full-blown autocracy. Also tonight, expelled from the House of Representatives, former Congressman George Santos begins his revenge tour, and he's already cashing in on his infamy. But we begin tonight with notes on a Florida scandal, a hot mess sending shockwaves through the state's Republican Party. The Florida man in question is not Donald Trump for once. Instead, this is a scandal involving Christian Ziegler, the chairman of Florida's Republican Party. This is Ziegler, a longtime party official who served as vice chairman of the state party prior to his election as chair. He is now under criminal investigation for allegations related to sexual battery, including rape, according to a complaint filed with the Sarasota Police Department. Ziegler has denied the allegations. A heavily redacted report was released Thursday. As you can see, it includes mention of rape, sexual assault complaint, and sexual assault allegation. The report mentions that the alleged incident happened in Sarasota, where Ziegler is from. Now, to give you an idea of his politics, here is Ziegler last month at the Republican Florida Freedom Summit, an event that featured Ziegler on stage with Trump and DeSantis. Based on the complaint released by law enforcement, the alleged incident occurred almost one month to the day prior to this summit, which was held in Orlando. We have a state to protect and a country to save. And our job is not done until there is not one single Democrat in office or thinking about running for office in the state of Florida. Ah, a state where Democrats wouldn't even think to run for office. The latest example of how Florida Republicans have gone from opposing Democrats to opposing democracy. Another thing about Chris Ziegler, he and his wife, Bridget, are among the state's most prominent Republicans. The Washington Post described them as a rising power couple in the state, second only to Ron and Casey DeSantis in their visibility and influence in state politics. And this is where things get even messier. Bridget was not named in the complaint against her husband, but in the affidavit, a written declaration made under oath, a law enforcement officer said that the woman who made the allegations against Chris Ziegler had known him for 20 years. She told the police she had agreed to a sexual encounter on October 2nd with Mr. Ziegler and his wife, Bridget Ziegler. Ms. Ziegler said in an interview with the authorities that she and her husband had been involved in one sexual encounter with the woman over a year ago. When the woman learned that Mrs. Ziegler would not be present for the October encounter, the woman said she changed her mind and canceled with Mr. Ziegler. 
But the woman said Mr. Ziegler came to her apartment uninvited and sexually assaulted her. So before we unpack all of that, a little more on Bridget Ziegler. She has worked closely with Ron DeSantis on a slew of draconian policies, namely anti-LGBTQ legislation. Here she is in 2022, standing behind Governor DeSantis when he signed the Don't Say Gay Bill into law. At a ceremony where, once again, children were used as props and a clear message was sent to gay Floridians that their lives do not matter. The legislation launched the presidential bid of an uncharismatic candidate who will likely not win. But the story doesn't end there. Don't Say Gay inflamed the culture wars, serving as a pretext to the Republicans' war against woke in the state. Bridget Ziegler always seemed to be in the center of that crusade, from being an elected member of the Sarasota County School Board to getting appointed by DeSantis to the board that now oversees Walt Disney World's land development. What is perhaps the most damning position is that Bridget Ziegler is a co-founder of Moms for Liberty, the group notorious for being the largest driver of the nationwide book banning crusade. Moms for Liberty claims to speak for American parents by arguing that little kids can't read about MLK or Ruby Bridges, helping to create a climate where teachers are hiding books and anybody can censor ideas that they don't like about race, gender, and sexuality. Again, Bridget is not named in the complaint and her husband has denied the allegations. But it is a window into who is leading this party. This, this trend in Republican politics, particularly since the Tea Party and since accelerated with the MAGA movement, where a specific type of person is elevated, implementing cruel and undemocratic policies with seemingly no vetting going on. And it should come as no surprise that this is happening in Florida. It may seem like these extreme Republicans are taking over the country in scorched earth fashion. But remember, this plan has been in the works for a long time. The Tea Party rebranded Republican conservatism, giving it a new identity that was bankrolled by Republican business elites and fueled by fears of a black president. It created the folks we have leading the Florida Republican Party today, like OG Tea Party candidate Ron DeSantis and Rick Scott, who was giddily obsessed with sunsetting Social Security and Medicare, the retiree health program that his company defrauded, earning a record federal fine before Florida Republicans elected him governor and then senator. Fast forward to 2023, and you cannot find a Florida Republican who isn't hawking MAGA culture war themes. Throw in Matt Gates, another Florida Republican with a creepy history, who instigated the House Speaker chaos, which is why Speaker MAGA Mike Johnson is running things on the Hill. These are people who have a plan, not just for Florida, but for America. And the plan is bleak. Joining me now is Florida State Representative Anna Escamani and Colby Edmonds, reporter for The New York Times. Thank you both for being here. Um, Colby uh, Edmonds, welcome to the show. I do want to start with you. I want to read from you. Um, Prosecutor Andrew Warren, who was fired by Ron DeSantis, Mr. Ziegler's friend and compatriot. And this is what he said. No wonder Ziegler was such a cheerleader for my illegal suspension. He figured that state attorneys who aggressively prosecute sexual assault and corruption are a threat to his political career. For a guy who presents to champion family values, what a disgrace to all Floridians. Tell us more about this case, where it stands right now, where Mr. Ziegler stands legally in the state. Right. So Mr. Ziegler has denied the allegations against him. Um, as 
you said earlier, he has known the alleged victim for over 20 years and in text messages that were included in the affidavit and phone calls that were recorded. He has called the alleged victim a friend and to her, he denied the allegations. Um, but he has seen some pushback from both Democrats and Republicans calling. Oh. I think the gremlins uh, have come for your Wi-Fi. See, I think we've lost Colby Edmonds. So, okay, we're going to get your um, uh, audio together, Colby. So let me just hold off on you for just a moment. We're going to try to fix your audio. I think the, the gremlins have come for your audio. So, uh, Representative Escamani, let me go to you on this. Uh, Glad, uh, the association that represents LGBTQ folks' interests, they've talked about the fact that Moms for Liberty, this organization, is waging what they call a war on LGBTQ and race-inclusive books. We've seen Moms for Liberty. I think we have VO of them. They go to school boards in places like Broward County and other places, even places where the Moms for Liberty folks don't necessarily have a child in the school. They stand up. They get up uh, during public speaking time. They speak out against books that contain themes of race, themes uh, on LGBTQ issues, anything with sexuality in it that they object to. This is the group co-founded by Mrs. Ziegler. Your thoughts on the fact that it appears that she may have engaged in, 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 in you know, conduct that is perfectly legal if it, uh, other than the rape allegations, but consensual sexual activity that would put her in the B&Q category. Well, first of all, Joy, thanks so much for having me on. And this is another example of Republican projection. Every attack really is a confession. Sexual freedom for me, but not for thee, seems to be the new mantra of the Republican Party and of Moms for Liberty. And I'm actually in Tallahassee this week for committee meetings, and I have to tell you and our national audience that the Republican Party of Florida is having a meltdown. Uh, despite many individuals asking Christian Ziegler to step down, he hasn't. And I do think the hypocrisy is something that none of us can ignore. This is an organization, both the political party and Moms for Liberty, who have demonized LGBTQ plus people. Uh, Christian and Bridget have attempted to personify this traditional Christian marriage and couple, and yet here they are doing the exact opposite. Look, I have no judgment on a person's expression of their sexual activity. Of course, the rape allegations are serious and damning. But what I find to be most frustrating is just the hypocrisy of it, that you attack other people for living their lives as you live yours. You know, uh, Ron DeSantis has put himself forward. He and Casey DeSantis. I mean, she walks around in sort of princess gloves, sort of making themselves seem like this perfect ultra Christian couple. Although I've heard at, a, at an event he had to be presented with a Bible because he didn't actually own one. Uh, but they have sort of pushed this culture war thing to the max. I mean, he's put his pedal to the metal. Anything that isn't about that isn't, you know, upholding and uplifting uh, white Christianity is essentially illegal in the state. It's illegal to make white folks feel uncomfortable. Uh, it's illegal to have books that have themes that have LGBTQ, uh, I, you know, themes in them or themes about race. He said that learning African-American history has no educational value. I mean, he's been an extremist on this. Has there been any talk inside of the Republican Party that maybe they were sold a bill of goods by him and his friends? He has empowered Mrs. Ziegler and have her. She's, he's got her in charge of what Disney can do. 
Well, that's such a great question, Joy. It reminds me of a few other examples too, whether it's uh, Joel Greenberg, former tax collector from Seminole County that's also been uh, charged uh, with not just fraud and other criminal acts, but um, sexual interaction with those under the age of 18, essentially rape. Uh, you also, of course, have Carson Matt Gates with one controversy over the other. Um, and here we are now with, with Christian Ziegler. So I I think so much of what we see come out of the Republican Party of Florida is just not authentic. It's manufactured. Um, it's an attempt to appeal to a, a very particular base of voters while demonizing others. And and I, I do think that as we see Governor DeSantis flail on a national stage, it's a reality check for a lot of Republicans where they have subscribed to this extremism because they thought it would benefit them. And then now they're seeing not just themselves, but also the people they looked up to as leaders uh, fall from grace. And I, I think it's another example of how everyday people, they don't want the uh, the rhetoric, they don't want the hypocrisy, they want solutions. And as Florida Democrats, we're committed to staying focused to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a real commitment to theater, to the bit. I mean, there, there are pictures of Christian Ziegler, Matt Gates, and Ron DeSantis all palling around. These are his friends. These are the people that sort of represent what he would present to us as a country. Let's not leave out Rick Scott, whose company defrauded Medicaid to, uh, to the tune of a $1.7 billion fine, the largest fine in history, mm. and then went on to regulate the way healthcare operates in Florida. I do believe we have Colby back. I see her there. So, Colby, where uh, does the Rep- have the Republican Party writ large um, is there an attempt to sort of push him out of the way? Um, because, you know, there are other sort of scandally uh, folks in the party that they haven't pushed aside. Is there, has there been an attempt to distance themselves from Mr. Ziegler? He is the heart head of the party. So my reporting didn't go too in-depth into that specific area. However, Governor Ron DeSantis did call for Mr. Ziegler to resign last week after a debate. So there's definitely been contention among both Democrats and Republicans. And let's talk about Mrs. Ziegler. Um, She is not named in the complaint, but the complainant in this case, and this is a rape allegation, it is an allegation at this point, there's been no adjudication of the case. How does the woman in question describe her relationship with Mrs. Ziegler? So her relationship with Mrs. Ziegler isn't explicitly defined in the affidavit, but um, Mrs. Ziegler Ziegler did talk to authorities once the investigation began, and she did confirm that the three of them had um, encountered in a, se- a three-way sexual encounter once over a year ago. And But the most um, information regarding the woman's relationship to the Zieglers is with Mr. Ziegler himself. They have known each other for about 20 years. And I'll, I'll end with you, Representative Eskamani, because people who, you know, they, they can do whatever they want. They're, it's a, it's a con- they're consenting adults. Other, again, the rape allegation to, is not part of that, you know, part of the do what you want, obviously. Um, but Ron DeSantis has made people who are LGBTQ feel afraid in the state of Florida to the point where organizations like uh, Equality Florida have put a, a warning on LGBTQ folks to visit the state. The NAACP has done the same. I just am sort of floored by the fact that the person running the Republican Party in the state, whose wife has been empowered by this governor, could just be so brazenly hypocritical. And I wonder if any of your colleagues on the other side of the aisle quietly behind the scenes have come to you and said, we know that it's all an act and we realize that we've let him benefit from fraud. 
Well, I wish there was that kind of spine um, here in the state legislature, but I, I think at this point, individuals of the Republican caucus are are still kissing that ring, if you will, and, and kind of going along to get along um, to see if DeSantis um, somehow uh, makes it through this Republican presidential bid. I do want to also add that if if folks haven't heard the 911 call regarding these allegations, I encourage you to because it it it's very painful to listen to, but also highlights the kind of harm that Christian Ziegler has caused to this woman. And it's the harm that he is causing to so many Floridians with his rhetoric, with his policies, and the policies of this extreme Republican party that doesn't have any values, that's just flooded with hypocrisy. And really, individuals should not be following these leaders because they're not bringing us yeah. into a direction of collective prosperity. And I will note that the person at the head of the party, their big mega boss, Donald Trump, has something like 26 mm. allegations ranging from sexual abuse to rape. And he was found criminal. He was found civilly liable for sexual abuse in the state of New York, Florida State Representative Anna Escamani and Colby Edmonds. And that is their golden calf. Up next on the readout, critics raise fresh concerns about Donald Trump, the aforementioned Donald Trump's authoritarian tendencies and the dangerous ways that they would manifest themselves in a potential second presidency. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Do you believe if Donald Trump were elected next year that he would try to stay in office beyond a second term? That he would never leave office? There's no question. There's you think no he would question. try to stay in power forever? Absolutely. I mean, he's already done it once. He was stopped, um, thankfully, and, and for the good of the nation and the republic. Uh, but, but he said he will do it again. He's expressed no remorse for what he did. You cannot count on a House of Representatives led by somebody like Mike Johnson to stop this president. You can't count on a Senate of Josh Hawley's and Mike Lee's to stop Donald Trump. With only 13 weeks left until Super Tuesday, when Donald Trump is expected to lock up the Republican presidential nomination, and with polls showing him with a 50-50 chance of reclaiming the White House, Republican former Congresswoman Liz Cheney is not alone in sounding the alarm about what she says is a nation sleepwalking into dictatorship. In a, in a, in a Washington Post op-ed, Robert Kagan describes how a Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable should he win the presidency next year. Kagan writes, if Trump does win the election, he will immediately become the most powerful person ever to hold that office. Not only will he wield the awesome powers of the American executive, but he will do so with the fewest constraints of any president, fewer even than in his own first term. The New York Times expands on that warning, writing, forces that somewhat contained his autocratic tendencies in his first term 
staff members who saw their job as sometimes restraining him, a few congressional Republicans episodically willing to criticize or oppose him, judges in federal courts, including the Supreme Court, who sometimes ruled against him, would all be weaker. As a result, Trump and his advisors, more extreme policy plans and ideas for a second term would have a greater prospect of becoming reality. And further blaring the siren about what could lie ahead in just over a year, The Atlantic just launched a special issue devoted entirely to the threat that a second Trump presidency poses to an American to American democracy and its lasting effects. The Atlantic's David Frum writes, a second Trump presidency, however, is the kind of shock that would overwhelm all other issues. It would mark the turn onto a dark path. One of these rips between before and after that a society can never reverse. Even if the harm is contained, it can never be fully undone, as the harm of January 6, 2021 can never be undone. The schemes and plots of a second Trump term may be defeated too. Yet every future would-be dictator would know a president can attempt a coup and, if stopped, still return to office to try again. And David Frum joins me now. David, it is good to see you. Um, I want to ask you to please say more. Thank you. Please say more um, about what a second term would portend for us. um, The human imagination has problems of limits. We all know that the past was different from the future, but we all assume the future is going to be the same as the present. When we look ahead, we never imagine things being very different from the way they are now, even though we know that things used to be different from the way they are now. And so this is the exercise I try to do in this piece. You know, I wrote a piece back in 2017 in January when Trump was first elected, talking about his authoritarian tendencies. This was at a time when we were being told by articles, it's going to be fine. He'll be a little weird, but basically okay. And I said, no, he's going to build an authoritarian regime and probably try not to leave office. What I'm worried about most now as we go into this cycle is if Donald Trump is elected again, I don't think people appreciate enough how much chaos there is going to be, that the government is going to break down. Look, Donald Trump will come to office, if he does, uh, at the center of four criminal prosecutions. His top priority is, number one, is going to be to shut down the American justice system, because if he doesn't, he probably goes to prison. So he has to find some way fire the prosecutors, stop the Department of Justice. By the way, that's what Richard Nixon lost his job for in 1974, or pardon himself, or try to, or give the military illegal orders, or one of those things. And he's going to have no Harry Potter cheat code that allows him to say, okay, everyone be quiet. Um, The system will resist. The military will start questioning orders from the president. People will go into the streets. We, I mean, the FCC will continue to regulate you know, uh, communications and the passport office will work, but we're not going to have a presidency. We're just going to have a breakdown at the center of the American government. Right. And I think what people kind of, I think because Americans sort of take for granted that we are some so, somehow exceptional. So we're exceptions to, so we can't have a Maduro, right? Cause we're not Venezuela. Oh, but yes, you can. Cause I, you know, when I was thinking about uh, talking with you uh, earlier today, I was thinking about it and I'm like, how do actually elections happen? Right. The processes just sort of begin every two years. Your local administrative offices begin doing the things that cause elections to happen. But what if they don't? What if MAGA people yeah. are in control of them and they say, you know what, we're not going to. 
What if Mike Johnson says, you know what? Why should any of us run for re-election? I'm speaker now. I'd like to remain speaker. Maybe we just won't do elections. The mechanisms that make elections happen, someone has to start those mechanisms. What if they just don't do it? And what if Trump is Maduro or he's Bibi Netanyahu who says, hey, I'm about to get prosecuted. Let me take over the Supreme Court. That'll help me. Right? I mean, it happens in countries that have had elections. That's how it happens. That's how it starts. Um, or what is that it doesn't work. Um, you know, suppose, supposing you're a senior officer in the military, you probably get orders all the time you disagree with that you think are stupid, but uh, you understand the civilians have the right to issue the orders. You can try to argue before the order is issued. You can argue with it or express doubts or leak to the press if you're really upset. But once the order is there, but you have sworn an oath not to the president, but to the Constitution. And you have a military code that says you can't follow an illegal order. How do you know which orders are illegal and which aren't? Um, and what we're going to have is a kind of brain seizure at the center of the military when Trump tries to order them into supp- to suppress protests in cities. As, as the military, what, what do we do? And we're going to have a, we're going to have just a series through the government of places where people don't obey the president, or some people do and others don't. Um, you know, in eight, it, during the depression, as terrible as that was. There was no question that the president was in command. The president gave orders and the orders were the law and you had to follow them. Um, you might like them, you might not. We could be in a situation where the presidency just melts down under the weight of a president using the presidency to protect himself from his crimes. Well, let me play Donald Trump. This was uh, Donald Trump uh, saying to guard the vote. Take a listen. The most important part of what's coming up is to guard the vote. And you should go into Detroit and you should go into Philadelphia and you should go into some of these places, Atlanta, and you should go into some of these places. And we got to watch those votes when they come in. David, from uh, Donald Trump controls a virtual army, a MAGA cult of people who are, for, for the most part, armed to the teeth. So he has a ready-made multi-million person militia. And I'm not sure the other side really understands that. So given that that's who he is and what he controls, why do you suppose Liz Cheney today when she was on the Today Show couldn't guarantee that to stop him, she would do the simple thing of voting for Joe Biden? Because she wouldn't say that. She said she'll do what has to be done. She didn't say she'd do that. Does that hesitancy, in your view, embolden those people, including their leader? Well, she, um, she is got her own thinking process. She's been a person of tremendous courage and integrity. I don't think anybody should be second guessing Liz Cheney for any, any reason. But when Donald Trump says those things, I, I don't think he understands the chaos that he's unleashing. Because on Election Day 2024, Donald Trump will not be president. Uh, so if he sends goons into Chicago and into Detroit, even if they are armed, so are, look, there are 400 million weapons in this country, at least. A lot of people are armed. You start this, you're not going to get people obeying. You're going to get violence, chaos on all sides. That's the risk I fear, fear most. Uh, we should all fear it. We should think about it. And But I would, love, I would love to know if Liz Cheney is prepared to vote for Biden to stop him. I personally would love to know that. But David Frum, we will have to continue this another time. We're out of time. Thank you very much. You. Coming up, so, chills, cheers. civilians are urged to flee as Israeli forces step up their assaults on southern Gaza. They'll flee to where? We'll be right back. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. 
Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Israel is continuing its assault on Gaza, moving further south into areas where people who already fled the north have sought shelter. Israel dropped leaflets calling for mass evacuations from Khan Yunis, the largest city in the southern end of the Gaza Strip. The warnings, however, leave Gazans no real options. If they stay, they could be targeted. And if they flee, they head to smaller slivers of the Gaza Strip where they could also be targeted. The Gaza chief of the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees tweeted, Another wave of displacements is underway, and the humanitarian situation worsens by the hour. He added, even in Rafah, where people are being forced to flee, the sound of airstrikes punctuates the day. People are pleading for advice on where to find safety. We have nothing to tell them. Two million people, most of the territory's population, are crowded into the 90 square miles that make up south and central Gaza, where Israel's ground offensive is expanding. Their only escape is to other parts of that area, as both Israel and neighboring Egypt have refused to accept any refugees. The bombing campaign has left thousands of people, including children, to rummage through rubble to look for their loved ones. The health ministry in Hamas-run Gaza said that the death toll in the territory since October 7th has surpassed 15,890 people, 70% of them women and children, with more than 42,000 wounded. The ministry does not differentiate between civilian and combatant deaths. This as Israel is under mounting pressure from the United States. Over the weekend, Vice President Kamala Harris, who visited the region this weekend, said that the U.S. would not allow the forced relocation of Palestinians out of Gaza or the occupied West Bank, though it's not clear how they would stop it. On Saturday, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin delivered his strongest remarks to date about Israel needing to protect civilians in Gaza, calling them the center of gravity in Israel's war with Hamas and warning about the risks of not just more mass death, but also radicalization. He also said he had personally pushed Israeli leaders to avoid civilian casualties, to shun irresponsible rhetoric, and to prevent violence by settlers in the West Bank. Netanyahu's right-wing government seems uninterested. Joining me now is Eamon Mohedin, host of Eamon on MSNBC. Eamon, good to see you. Let me let you listen to a little bit of Lloyd Austin and Kamala Harris, because their tone has definitely shifted. Take a listen. You see, in this kind of a fight, the center of gravity is the civilian population. And if you drive them into the arms of the enemy, you replace a tactical victory with a strategic defeat. As Israel defends itself, it matters how. The United States is unequivocal. International humanitarian law must be respected. Too many innocent Palestinians have been killed. Frankly, the scale of civilian suffering and the images and videos coming from Gaza are devastating. Is there reporting on what caused that shift? I think the reality is, Joy, that uh, the highest levels of American government are seeing the same images you and I are seeing. They probably have intelligence that surpasses anything that we even know about what is actually happening on the ground inside Gaza. 
uh, as well as the actual deliberations uh, by the Israeli government and the decision making by the Israeli government. Look, the, the points that you highlighted in those two sound bites from both the vice president and the, and the secretary of defense are very telling for a few reasons. One, uh, the secretary of defense makes very clear it's not only a moral responsibility for Israel to protect civilians, it's a strategic imperative. And he also said in that soundbite that you can actually have a tactical victory. That means that you could actually possibly destroy Hamas. But if you move the center of gravity, the civilian population further into the hands of the enemy, meaning you generate more sympathy for Hamas among the civilian population by what you are doing, you have strategically lost. And it's very clear now for people who have been following this from the very beginning that there now is daylight between the American administration and the government of Netanyahu in terms of how this war is being conducted. Because if you remember early on, John Kirby at the White House said there are no red lines. Then you had the national security deputy, deputy national security advisor, John Feiner, come out and not willing to say that Israel is actually following international law. And now you have two high ranking U.S. officials saying what they are seeing on the ground right now. Uh, is more or less unacceptable, and that it's a strategic, um, uh, it's a strategic loss for Israel if it continues down this road of punishing the civilians, which we all see are bearing the brunt of this operation and this war. Yeah, let, let me just actually play for a moment something that hasn't changed, Lindsey Graham. Well, tell us how to do it differently. Yeah, I, what you know? What is too many people dying in World War II after Pearl Harbor? Did did the American public worry about how many people were dying to destroy Tokyo and Berlin? That that is so gross. I won't even cause you to. I won't even make you respond to it. I just wanted the American people to hear the way that their senator from South Carolina sounds. Nine seven, excuse me, two magazine which is a, uh, a magazine that is an independent online nonprofit that's run by a group of Palestinian and Israeli journalists. They have said that a source has, has, has told their reporters that a senior intelligence officer in Israel told his officers after October 7 that the goal was to kill as many Hamas operatives as possible, for which the criteria around harming Palestinian civilians was significantly relaxed, meaning they were willing to accept a much higher death toll of the women and children among women and children. Um, Talk about that just for a little bit, because if that's the goal, they're meeting it. They're they're killing a lot of women and children. Is there any reporting on how many people from Hamas they've actually killed? So th this is a really important piece of journalism, and there have been many that have been coming out through this war. But this one, I think, is extremely important. And over the weekend, I had a chance to interview the author of this journalist, Yuval Abraham, who talked about the reporting here. And it's very important to emphasize, as you said, that based on multiple sources, uh, people inside the Israeli security and intelligence establishment, as well as outside those who had served previously, the calculation has been made to not just simply target individual Hamas members, but to create a shock factor among the civilian population with the aim that the civilian population will somehow turn uh, against Hamas. And in doing so, he goes on to describe how Israel has been using artificial intelligence to ramp up and accelerate the targeting of what he calls power targets. These are civilian uh, infrastructure targets, including residential buildings, infrastructure, hospitals and such, all with the aim of creating fear and shock. But it is going beyond that, because as is reported in the article, nothing Israel targets inside the Gaza Strip is by accident. Everything is intentional. So as he says in the piece, when a 13-year-old or a three-year-old Palestinian girl is killed, it is because somebody in the Israeli military has calculated her death to be valuable for whatever the stated objective is. And so as a result of that right now, it doesn't seem that out of the 15,000, as you noted, we don't know the breakdown of combatants versus civilians. 
But based on women and children alone, 70 percent is is at least women and children. And compare that to what Israel estimates to be the number of Hamas fighters killed somewhere in the low thousands, maybe two to three thousand. That's by their own estimates so far, including maybe three or four dozen high ranking Hamas officials. And the U.N. has said children are paying the greatest price uh, of all. Eamon Mohedin, thank you for uh, the excellent reporting. And still ahead, George Santos tries to cash in on his humiliating expulsion from Congress and vows revenge on fellow Republicans who voted for his ouster. Back in a sec. If the House wants to start different precedent and expel me, that is going to be the undoing of a lot of members of this body, because this will haunt them in the future. Since becoming only the sixth person to be expelled from the U.S. House of Representatives, George Anthony Devalder Santos has been talking a good game to back up that threat. He's taken the George Santos revenge tour to social media, threatening to file ethics complaints against his former colleagues. Of course, he'd now be filing those complaints as a private citizen. Sad. His targets include three fellow New York Republicans. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. He accuses her of questionable stock trading. Her spokesperson wouldn't respond to the, quote, scorned and known serial liar. Santos claims that Representative Michael Lawler is engaged in money laundering through his campaign. Lawler's spokesperson called Santos's attack a badge of honor. Santos says Congressman Nick LaLota was a no-show at his Board of Elections job while attending law school. Lalota's spokesperson says Santos is just mad that Lalota has three actual degrees while George lied about having one. Santos is also taking aim at one Democrat, New Jersey's Rob Menendez, son of Senator Bob Menendez, asking the Ethics Committee to look into whether the younger Menendez had any knowledge of his father's alleged criminal conduct. A spokesperson for Congressman Menendez noted that Santos is not a colleague or a constituent, so they would not be responding to his Botox-fueled fits of rage. Okay, funny line. But Santos's allegations might actually be worth some follow-up by journalists. I mean, doesn't it take a crook to know a crook? Meanwhile, getting rid of the least serious Republican in a conference full of clowns won't do much to get them to do actual work. House Speaker Mike Johnson says they are inching closer and closer to having the votes to open an impeachment inquiry into President Biden, apparently for having lunch with his own son, since they still have no evidence he did much else. But just because the House said good riddance to the George Santos hot mess express doesn't mean you've seen the last of him. He'll be getting the Veep treatment. The executive producer behind that show is working on a film adaptation of a new book about the New York fabulist. And Santos has already launched his next career now that he's lost his $174,000 congressional salary. He's selling videos on Cameo. Where for the low, low price of $200, you too can have a personalized greeting from self-proclaimed former congressional cultural icon, George Anthony DeValder, Quitara Rebash Santos. And when we come back, we'll show you that he just might be that iconic. Goodbye, Congress Queens. Though they never knew me at all, cause I lied about everything in my life. Then I took a tragic fall They crawled out of the woodwork They whispered, he used my donations for Botox And I said, it was fillers And I'm not a f***ing clown 
That was the brilliant Bowen Yang dragging the newest former member of Congress, one George Anthony DeValder Santos over at Saturday Night Live. Just one of the many dramatic interpretations that has the serial fabulist calling himself an icon. Joining me now, Maya Wiley, president of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, and Dana Milbank, columnist for the Washington Post. I'm sorry, I am obsessed with Bo and Yang. I, I, I'm sorry, he is the he is so funny that I I can't even I can't. Um, <laughs> let me let you have at this first, Dana, because you're funny too. What what do you make of the fact that this guy said he was an icon and now he has been Bo and Yanged? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, how can you argue with, I mean, for once, George Santos is telling the truth. He is an icon. We all know him. And I, I can say it now that he's gone from Congress. We kind of love him, too, because, you know, he took this whole house of lies and he basically became uh, the actual uh, embodiment of it. And now he's cashing in uh, with videos on Cameo, even doing one for uh, Senator John Fetterman, you know, to try to help take out Bob Menendez. Uh, but, he, you know, he's a delightful scoundrel. It was not at all delightful when he was uh, in the House. But now can't we just enjoy uh, George <laughs> Santos? Yes, we can. Uh, my, uh, but my question, though, is with all of these things that he's doing, you know, Veep doing a send up of him, there's a book about him, you know, he gets sent up on Saturday Night Live. Can he make money off of his crimes? Or isn't, isn't there like a law in New York that says that if he earns any money off of his notoriety from criminality, like that he has to pay that money to the people he defrauded? Or isn't there a law like that? Well, first of all, let's just say, remember, he has not been con convicted anything yet. Uh, so there's there's nothing he can't do to earn money that is lawful. I think the most interesting one about the cameo is that he's actually trying to make money lawfully now, which is probably the first time that we can imagine when you read the timeline of his exploits. So, I mean, he is a serial, serial grifter. Uh, and this is actually at least factually accurate. So I think what's so it's I will just say, though, what is not entertaining in any way is the fact that it is true, as Bowen Yang was singing, is that he made up his background to voters. And that's actually not funny, particularly when you lie about being the child of a Holocaust survivor. You literally tell people you are someone you are not to ask for their votes. It's pretty despicable. Well, and also take, you know, grifting off of 9-11. It's, it's pretty gross what he did. Absolutely. But I mean, I mean, he's ain't that different, Dana. I mean, like, is he worse than Trump? Is he worse than Matt Gates? Let me actually play Matt Gates. I, I called his name. Uh, I mean, all of them. Is he worse than any of them? Here's Matt Gates actually saying it was stupid to kick him out. We have a four vote majority, right? Now we've kicked out George Santos. We have a three vote majority. We got a bunch of these octogenarians at our conference. If God forbid any of them were to cross the rainbow bridge, we would uh, we would be in a situation where we could literally lose the majority because we were so eager to throw George Santos out before even being convicted. It is not in accordance with precedent. It is not in accordance with due process. And it is just tactically freaking stupid. That guy was so lucky that his friend is the only one that went uh, down for the teen sex trafficking. But any whomst, is he right about the tactical part? Because Mike Johnson ain't exactly an expert speaker, and now his majority is teeny, 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 tiny. 
I, I mean, look, we, we know how successful they've been with a four vote majority. So, yeah, they're going to be 25 uh, percent less successful with a three vote majority. But let's face it, they already couldn't run the play. So it's not as if uh, yeah. things are actually going to change here. And, you know, I, I, yes, I think Gates was honest about the the politics of it. But, you know, Matt Gates taking on the ethics committee. OK, uh, they, they, yes, the Justice Department uh, decided not to press charges. But of course, the Ethics Committee is still looking into his financial irregularities and sexual irregularities, uh, shall we say. So he had a, a lot of interest in uh, defending Santos there. And, you know, Santos is now uh, going out trying to take down as many uh, New York Republicans as he can. I, I, I think he might have oversold it a bit. They're, they're not quite Santos level uh, transgressions. But you know, he's got he's got a few items on some folks. It's it's uh, it's certainly more than the Republicans have come up with against Joe Biden. So, you know, there's something. A, a thousand percent more. Yeah, it's 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 like a hundred thousand percent more. Let's play for everyone to enjoy. Here's the cameo that was bought by Senator John Fetterman to troll Bob Menendez. Hey, Bobby, uh, look, I don't think I need to tell you, but these people that want to make you get in trouble and want to kick you out and make you run away, you make them put up or shut up. You stand your ground, sir, and don't get bogged down by all the haters out there. Stay strong. Merry Christmas. I'll buy a cameo, too, but he only, he has to do it as Kitara Ravash. That's the only thing that I want to see George Santos do. I want him to do Kitara. Maya Wiley and Dana Milbank, thank you. I'm sorry we're out of time, but thank you both very much. And buy some cameos. The man needs money. And that is... <laughs> Bowen Yang, please come on the show. That is tonight's readout. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.